Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. The aim of the podcast is to give you usable content for you if you're a health and fitness enthusiast or for your clients if you're a health and fitness professional. With different points of view and a little bit of fun, we break down information to give insights that empower and hopefully inspire through a lens of longevity and pain-free living for everyone. So stay tuned and enjoy. Today on the DTS Fitness Education Podcast, we've got John Berardi. John Berardi is a Canadian-American entrepreneur, best known as the co-founder of Precision Nutrition. He's also the founder of Changemaker Academy, and that is something that's devoted to helping would-be changemakers turn their passion for health and fitness into a powerful purpose and a wildly successful career. John's had a ton of longevity in the industry. He's advised Apple, Equinox, Nike, Titleist. He's, uh, he's been involved with the San Antonio Spurs, the Carolina Panthers, US Open champions, UFC champions. Uh, and he's been named one of the 20 smartest coaches in the world and 100 most influential people in health and fitness. He lives in Ontario, Canada with his wife and four kids, though sometimes he likes to get away when it's a little cold in the uh, Great White North. So let's have a little listen and stay tuned. Welcome to the DCS Fitness Education Podcast. My name is Ben McDonald and I am here with, once again, so good you got to say it twice, Dr. John Berardi Berardi. <laughs> Hello. I'm uh, excited to be back, man, and maybe talk about some different subjects today, which is super cool. Fat Loss is Great, which was our last podcast, but... Been talking about that for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> John, I think the aim of the game, we're going to run a series on, uh, on business, how to be a successful trainer. As I was putting the list together of people who I thought, do you know what? Let's get them on a the show. They'll be really interesting. They have a lot of kudos and credence in the, in the fitness industry. Mate, I was just like, John Bernardi has been in the industry for an extensive amount of time and has literally just wrote the book on how to be a successful trainer. Can't think of anyone better to have on, John. That's awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, man. I always enjoy our chats. <laughs> Excellent. All right, my man. So let's get cracking. Let's get straight into the meat and potatoes. Question number one, is business acumen important for trainers? Not all of them. I mean, for some, yes. You know, and this is, this is the whole crux of my book, really. It's before we start talking about how do you level up your business skills or your entrepreneurial skills or whatever, we should ask whether you should be worrying about those at all. You know, like let's start from this first place of what's your purpose, what are your unique abilities, and what are your values? And then we can decide whether you have to go build entrepreneurial tool set or a business tool set or not. You know, there are all kinds of paths to success in the health and fitness industry that do not involve, first of all, being a coach or a trainer, and then second of all, being a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, you know, and a great example of this is this what you and I were talking about just a few minutes ago. And you're like, I'll, I will never take any of your book advice because I will never write a book. <laughs> and I'm like, of course you won't because your unique ability set is this. It's talking, it's teaching, it's being in front of people in a live format and now in a podcast format. So you found your purpose and your unique abilities and you're using your unique abilities to drive your purpose, right? And this is what I think more people in the industry have to do. We have to stop copying everyone else. 
Stop saying, oh, that person seems successful, so I'm just going to do what they do. Because number one, it's a lower probability play, right? If you're copying someone else who's doing something unique, well, the world doesn't necessarily need you. It already has that in the other person. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, like, it's not who you are fundamentally, then even if you do have success, and the chances are lower of that happening, but even if you do, now you've had success living someone else's life. So for me, it's starting way back at the beginning and saying, okay, why are you doing this? What's your purpose in this field? And for those listening, if you're like, oh, it's to help people, that's not good enough. I mean, helping people is great, but you can do that as a paramedic, as a barista serving coffee. People need that morning coffee. <laughs> so, you know, I think we have to start being really clear on what pur your purpose is, right? And again, in the book, I give people exercises on how to unpack that, but not alone, like with others. You have to do it with the people around you in your life. You know, it's, it's really difficult to sit home or in your office with a piece of paper and a pen and somehow discover your purpose there alone, right? Uh, these things only are uncovered when you meet the world. It's in that interface between you and other people. So that's where I begin. And I'll give an example of, of how to be in this industry without being a coach, you know, because I feel like I spend some of my time dissuading people from being a coach, you know, uh, because it's not for everyone. Entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. Coaching isn't for everyone. I don't know, two years ago, you know, when I was transitioning out of sort of full operational roles in precision nutrition, we were looking for someone to run our product team. So basically what that is, is someone who uh, develops the, our pro coach technology, our software, right? So they oversee the whole team. So they obviously need skills in technology and coding and all that, but they also have to understand like customer experience and they have to understand the industry and what you know, coaches need in the first place. So you, you need people who are passionate about health and fitness as passionate as you or I would be. But also instead of being like, therefore I'll be a coach. We're like, Hey, but I also like technology and I don't want to leave that part of myself aside. Mm -hmm. So they built this sort of dual tool set. And when we were going out to hire these people, I mean, they, they were all making like 500 grand a year. So they're wildly successful financially and doing what's unique to them. So that's where I always like to start. Now, if we then go the next step and say, okay, but yes, I've done the work. I've defined my purpose, my unique abilities and my values. And I do want to be a trainer in the industry. I do want to coach people let's say one-on-one -on -one or one-on small group or whatever the case may be, then I think you have a fork in the road there too, right? One yeah. is you can work for a company that gets you clients or you can work for a company that you are basically an independent contractor or you can start your own thing, right? And so then it depends how, how much business skill you need on which fork that you took in the road. Again, I, I think right now there's this oversimplification happening in the field. You know, the field is maturing, right? It's only been around for 40 or so years. So we're starting to get past the infant stage and maybe we're in the toddler stage right now, right? So we're like looking around and going, oh, wait, what's our place in the world, right? And when we do that, we go, oh, wait, okay. So my personal training certification wasn't enough what the heck <laughs> you know, <laughs> need to learn more but what we're rushing into is like the promise that somehow entrepreneurship will 
bring meaning and value and financial freedom and all this kind of stuff. And um, that's, that's way too overly simplistic. The next step isn't entrepreneurship for everyone. It's, okay, got my training certification. Now I have to figure out who I am. Then I have to figure out who the people I then hope to serve are. And in the Venn diagram overlap should be what I put my energy into in terms of when I think of career. And then I have to build out an educational sort of curriculum for myself that helps me learn the skills that help me get that. There, there is a scenario where entrepreneurship and business trains are really important for coaches, but it's not for everyone. So it shouldn't be the next thing you trip into just because there's a million Facebook ads for it right now. Mate, I think, do you know what? I love how you structure stuff, John, because I, like, I looked at that question and I thought, yeah, this is a yes or no. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah. I know. I'm and terrible. You just, you just structured it like, I'm like, I never even thought of it like that. That's fantastic, mate. That's fantastic. <laughs> the worst, I'm good at a few things. The worst thing I am is when people say, I'd like to have you on my podcast. We record for 20 minutes. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's not for me, man. <laughs> you know, I won't even answer one question. <laughs> yeah, well, the good thing about this, John, is we just see where it goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're just like, let's see how things pan out. Excellent, my mate. I, I know that people are going to be like, I never even thought of that before. Excellent. So just getting that structure is fantastic. Yeah. And you know what? It's okay to not have thought about it. It took me half my career to think about it, man. Like, <laughs> and I'll share like a, an honest story here about what made me start thinking about it. You know, we were about halfway through our journey at Precision Nutrition. Phil Caravaggio was the co-founder and I. And so, I don't know, in my experience, basically when you're founder of a startup company that is bootstrapped, so you don't have any investors, you're just you know, trying to sell some things so that then you can invest a little bit of money back and then grow with the dollars of customers who've traded their dollars for value that you provide. Um, you kind of start off doing everything. You know, it was Phil and I, no one else doing everything, right? Then we hire a few people and here was the narrative in my head. Well, then you hire a few people and you have to become a manager, right? And so those people are doing, let's say the low leverage things, not low importance, but just low leverage, right? And then you're available to do the higher leverage things. And then you start hiring leaders when it grows further. So managers for the managers, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then you as a founder have to float on top of the organization, basically. And if, until you're eventually like a legitimate C something O, right? CEO, chief science officer, whatever you're going to call yourself. And in a, in a real company, I mean, that like people start a company and call themselves the CEO and it's only them and their wife, you know, and that's fine. But that's not what really a CEO is, right? A CEO is a leader of the leaders, right? So if you think of it like a pyramid, there's all the workers and the managers of the workers. So these are your skilled people. And the managers are managing the skilled people. Then there's the leaders managing the managers. And then there's the see something O's managing the leaders, right? That's, that's when you have that kind of organization. So we were getting to that point and I was miserable every single day of my life. <laughs> I really was. We had just had our third child. So I'm certain that had something to do with this. So we <laughs> now have a very busy home, new baby at home. And I'm going into my office and I'm passionate about my purpose at Precision Nutrition, but I still end the day feeling sad every single day. And I went through a pretty deep depression to the point where like I have these notebooks all around my office where I, I write down all my notes for life and work and any experiments I'm working on. I still have the notebook where one day I made a list of ways to get out 
of this misery I was experiencing. You know, one was just sell my shares of Precision Nutrition, you know, get out of the company. Two was just give my shares to Phil. Like, hey man, it's been a pleasure. I love you, here you go. I need to get away from this. And the last item on the list was drive off a bridge so that at least Amanda and the kids will get some insurance money. And um, that was where I like had a pause and was like, shit, man, I just wrote down kill myself on a list of options. Uh, I'm going to have to, A, get some help and then see my way out of this scenario. And why I was in that scenario was all the things that I'm good at, my unique abilities, I was doing none of them. Yeah. You know, I was just in meetings all day and that's not my forte. You know, I like communication. I like writing. I like producing content. I like data, you know, science. So really like the scientific aspects, the content and the marketing were just what I loved. I was doing literally none of them. And so every day I'd be unfulfilled. And so that's when Phil and I started looking around for ways to, and we didn't have this language like purpose, values, unique abilities at yeah. the time, right? We were just like, you know, I was just like, life sucks right now. I freaking hate my work, you know? But it's so weird. Like you love the idea of what you're doing, but you don't like what you're doing. What is that? So then we discovered this kind of a couple different separate pieces. And then we put it all together for ourselves first. Phil and I went through the purpose, unique abilities and values exercises which again are in the book. And then we did it with every member of our team because we realized if we could build an organization where every person next to you was sharing a purpose with you and a value system, but had different skills, like the, the ones they're strong where you're weak and vice versa, what a cool place that would be to work. and What a great place it would be. And it turned out to be true. Like PN is a remarkable place and it's had great success. You know, I bring all this up not because I'm like, here's a fun thing to do. I'm like, I almost killed myself because I didn't do it, you know? So anyway, I wanted to share that because I, there's, there's real stakes here. Mate, that's a, a powerful story, John. And when I say thanks for sharing that, that's pretty, pretty deep, mate. So when you start to look at why, the purpose behind why you wrote the book, it's quite a powerful story, that brother. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, again, hopefully some younger coaches will see this early in their career and they'll have this framework to use for the rest of their career because you'll have to redo this from time to time because things will change. Your experiences will change. Your values will certainly change as things change in your life. You know, as a parent, children are a huge catalyst for a value change. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and you may even change careers at some point in your life. You may go into a different field. There are tons of people in our field right now coming from different careers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they need, they need to start all over again and define all these things. So I think it's just a great starting point and it's a great place to check in on, even if you've been in the field for a while. Yeah, definitely. Just bringing all that together, John, all those experiences. It's not like, Oh, do you know what? I'll write a book. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take all these experiences that I've had and the processes that I went through and I'm going to put it all together in a way that makes sense. It's almost like when people say, well, I've made the mistakes. I've like fell down all the holes. 
Yeah. And what I'm going to do is I'll put something together so you can avoid the holes that I fell down. Do you know what I mean? That's right. Yeah. And you'll probably find some new ones because that's what humans do. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just think, I think, you know, what you said about mashing up all your experiences and interests is so critical. You know, I was speaking at an event recently and I was up on stage and I was thinking about this very thing. And I was looking at each of the presenters and I wasn't thinking about what they were presenting on. I was thinking about who they are. And I'm like, oh, each one of these people is very unique. As I think about who they are and I get to know them, you know, like we sit around in the green room or go have dinner together or whatever. And I want to know their stories. And I'm like, oh, every person in here is bringing something totally different. Yet all the people in the audience are looking at us and they're thinking about how they can copy us. Mm, and yeah. I'm like, this is a real mismatch here because everyone up here hasn't copied each other to get here. You'll never be on this stage if that's your aspiration. If you're trying to copy us, you have to be uniquely you. And my favorite example of this was, so last winter we spent some time down in Scottsdale, Arizona as a family. And I went to the grocery store one day and I, I never saw this product here in Canada, but in the bread section, there's this like, it's called like Dave's high protein bread or something like that. Okay. It's striking because there's a cartoon of Dave on the bread package and you know, bread package are like transparent, right? So it's just like an outline of Dave, but it's like Dave and he's got like, you know, the classic pose for trainers where you like cross your arms and push out your biceps. Oh yes. Okay. So he's doing that, but on a guitar, he's got an electric guitar, he's got long hair, he's muscular. And he's made this high protein bread. This is so interesting. If Dave was like a lot of people in our field, he would have been like, I like to work out. I'll go be a trainer. Right. But instead he's like, but I also love rock and roll and play guitar. I like muscles and I like food. Right? Like, <laughs> so he puts it all together and he has this like very successful line of high protein, low carb bread. That's what we need more of. We need people who are, drawing all this together, like you said, and mashing it together and finding a new thing or an interesting twist on an old thing to do rather than just same as everyone else. I think that's cool. I'm going to meet Dave. I'm going to find <laughs> out where Dave's bread is. I'm going to meet him. <laughs> yeah, get him on the show. Hey, I, I always just call it Dave's rock and roll bread. That's not what it's called, but that's what I always call it for fun. They <laughs> get him on the show and he'll be like, he'll be there, guitar, pushing his biceps out. It'll be a full thing, mate. You know what I mean? You can make it your background, big Dave in the background. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> All right, John. So question number two. What is the lowest hanging fruit for a trainer when it comes to getting on top of their business? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is clients. It's just getting clients. I mean, it's so straightforward, right? Uh, and I want to provide some data. We, you know, have this software program at Precision Nutrition called ProCoach, and it's a curriculum that you can deliver as the coach to your clients. It's the same curriculum we've coached 200,000 people with. So it's basically a nutrition coaching, lifestyle coaching software. And so we launched it in the summer of 2016. So, so just over three years ago now. And what we found, you know, for the first year, you're just figuring things out. And the second year, you start to collect some meaningful data. And what we discovered was that the people who were still going to be using ProCoach in one year were the people who, within the first two months, got their first five clients on ProCoach, right. right? And it kind of makes sense because you're like, if you don't have any clients, you can't afford to keep paying for it, right? But I was out, you know, I do consulting with a bunch of companies and one of them is Equinox and they were sort of lamenting at one of our 
awesome new trainers, right? So they have this crop of new trainers that comes in every year. They have very high turnover rate, as most commercial yeah. facilities do. It's not a unique Equinox thing. And so they're trying to figure out how to keep them. And they're leaning into education and all these other things, right? And I was like, can you run some numbers for me? I was just super curious about this, right? Like, what's the ratio of time spent here versus clients, right? And it ends up being the same thing. If they don't get their first five clients in the first couple of months as a new trainer, then they're gone. Yeah. You know, and the ones who get their first five clients quickly stay. Now, this may be a surrogate marker for a whole bunch of other things, but it's the ultimate predictor of whether you'll be in this field or not in a few years. And I think it's really sad. I mean, this is part of the reason I wrote the book. You know, right now, the industry as a whole has a 40% turnover rate in one year, which means we're coming up on the 2020, January 2020, right? So there's going to be a whole crop of new people coming into the field, super excited, new year, going to start a new career. I'm going to help people change their lives, right? And this isn't just like, I might try the hospitality industry. No, these are people who are like passionate. They're like, I do this in my life. It changed my life. I want to change other lives, right? And four out of 10 by January, 2021 will be gone. I think that sucks. That just sucks. And then they're going to go do some, some career that they like way less. God, that's so terrible. Like it's kind of on us educators to do something about that. So anyway, for me, I think about the first thing is how do we get you five clients? How do we get this new crop, but a few clients to start figuring it out? So, you know, in the book, I have some strategies and I've, I've published some free articles on the Changemaker Academy website on this too. And so you can come in and look up the marketing section on Changemaker Academy website and read about these, these strategies. And there's three that I give people. The first one I actually learned from John Goodman, who we were talking about earlier. It's like a simplified version of survey selling, right? So what you do is you go on your socials or you can do it. You can flyer the town. Like there's, there's no magical like platform to do this on. But the idea is you create a little thing where you're taking five or 10 people and you get very specific about what kind of people. So you just put up an ad. I'm looking for five people who are between this age range in this geographical area, unless you're online and then it doesn't have to be, who are looking to this specific goal, build muscle, lose fat, drop their baby weight, whatever you, know, you hope to serve. I'm taking only five and I'm taking them by such and such date. If you're interested, click this link or come check out this thing or whatever, or come call this phone number. And then what you do on the other end is you give them a little survey. You have them apply, you know? So it's like, how old are you? You know, what's, what's your name? How old are you? So anyway, I give the template for this. We don't have to go through here, but the idea is you immediately take, we'll call it imperfect action to put yourself out there and get some people who raising their hands saying, I'm at least interested in talking to you about this more. But the only way to do that is be very super specific. Also, this is marketing 101, but the way to get people to take action now when you need them to take action, and quite frankly, when they probably need to take it themselves, is to give them a deadline and some sense of scarcity. Yeah. So if there's few spots and you have to take them by such and such date, then there's a way higher chance that people will raise their hand. 
I mean, we're sitting here, it's Thursday, November 28th, that we're recording this. Uh, tomorrow is Black Friday. What do you think Black Friday is? It's just a made up arbitrary day <laughs> where there's scarcity and urgency. It's where right? everybody fights over the TV, in it? That's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yes. Do they do this in UK? Oh, mate, I've seen some videos where it's like they're waiting outside the doors, the doors open, everybody steams in, they're like ripping TVs off each other, these people falling over. I'm like, I wasn't I sure if that was just that. Americans doing it or if that was a world, it's a worldwide phenomenon. But you see what's happened. The, the question is, if you, if you have to market in the world to sell your things, is not how stupid are those people? It's what are the conditions that created those people acting that way? Yeah. And it's urgency and scarcity. I mean, if you, if you have a product and you leave it open any day of the year, people feel like, well, I'll do it next week. And then next week comes around, they'll go, not a good week for me. I'll do it next week. Yeah. And next week becomes never, right? Then you have to be very specific. You know, I'm looking for this age range with this particular goal who live here. And you put that up there and then obviously they fill out the thing and then you follow up. And if they're the right candidate for what you offer, then, you know, get them into your cohort. I've shared this. I, I, we did a challenge in our PN pro coach community and most of the people who do it get clients from it. So that's one strategy that I love. Another one is it's more of a long-term play. I call it tell people what you do strategy, right? So, so you make a challenge for yourself for the next 30 days, every day I'm going to go out in public somewhere, whether it's just for coffee or a grocery store or whatever, just to your daily travels and, and your daily errands. And you tell someone what you do because coaches are like notoriously bad at talking about what they do with people, right? I hate selling, whatever. This is just a way of saying I'm uncomfortable talking about what I do with others. The challenge is every day you have to tell someone what you do. Let's say yeah, I see you at a coffee shop and I'm like, hey, I see you here every day. What's your name? And you're like, oh, I'm Ben. I'm like, great, I'm John. Listen, I'm doing this goofy challenge. Every day for the next 30 days, I have to tell someone what I do. You're who I picked today. Can I just tell you for like one minute what I do so I can at least mark off that I've done the challenge? And you're like, all right, hopefully you don't say F off, mate. You say, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You know? So then what I do is I've prepared like an elevator pitch. I help X kind of person to do some benefit so that they can some hopeful future. So this is like a templated thing I teach people. So I help new moms lose their baby weight so that they can feel more energy, more confidence, and get back into their pre-baby clothes. I help a specific group of people to, and this is where you put a benefit. This might be the weight loss or the lower cholesterol or the better movement freedom. And the last part's the most crucial so that they can, and this is where you paint a hopeful future for them. Cause that's really what people are buying. They're not buying your services, your squats, your meal plans. No, they want to be a better them in the future. So you have to articulate what that is, you know, I help people in their 60s and 70s to have more movement freedom so that they can play with their grandkids, get up and down stairs easily, and feel functionally independent, right? See how I painted a beautiful picture for them of who they could be if they work with me. So now I'm telling that to you, right? And you might be like, all right, great, mate. I hope you go out and change the world, right? Uh, or you could be like, that's really interesting. 
And then if you're interested, then we can have a deeper conversation. Maybe you don't become a client, but at the end of that exchange, I could say, well, hey, Ben, listen, if there's anyone you know who could benefit from that, I love an intro or whatever. You know, and again, I, I have a more elaborate template that I teach people where let's say you were interested. The last thing I, I want to do then is say, oh, you seem interested in this. Listen, I've got to go, but can we exchange email addresses or something? I, I just thought of an article that I want to share with you that I think you'd find really valuable. And then I chat, you know, and, and there's a whole bunch of social psychology involved in this. But the idea being, I tell you what I do, if you're interested, I we exchange contact info and I follow up by promising you something awesome. And then when I follow up, I'm like, hey, you know, I find out if you're interested in coaching. If you're not, do you know anyone who is? And imagine meeting 30 people over the next 30 days. There's a higher probability than you meeting zero people that you get some clients from. <laughs> so that's the second. And the third thing I love is communities, online communities. If you do online coaching, for example, uh, there are all kinds of communities that you can be a member of where there are people who probably need your services. The best communities to be part of are not health and fitness communities because they already are coaches, you know? Yeah. So it, this is where you like fish your hobbies for potential clients, right? So let's say you like baseball card collecting or you're part of a um, fantasy football league or whatever. It's just a group you're a member of. And you're, you're a member because you want to be there. Now, when things related to health and fitness come up, you make yourself the go-to expert. You answer all the questions in the group about that. You don't pitch your stuff because that's the way to get kicked out of the group really quick. <laughs> so what you do is you just helpful, friendly, answering questions. And maybe in your little sign-off, if you can put a little bio thing at the bottom, there's a link to what you do. And then eventually, once you become the trusted person, you can drop in, oh, by the way, I do this for a living. If you're interested, come check me out here. And it has to be really low touch, really like not pushy salesy, but it's just another way to be in front of a big community of people, show that you're valuable and increase your chances of getting clients. So there's all kinds of ways to do this, but just wandering around hoping a client falls in your lap isn't it. Uh, just randomly posting like sharing articles on Facebook isn't it either. Like you need to be very strategic. So these are my top three. And again, I teach them in the book. And if you don't have the book yet and you want to get like the, the short version of them, uh, you can check it out on the Changemaker Academy website. Brilliant. And we're, we're going to put all the links to the Changemaker Academy are going to be the, in the description for the podcast. Cool. Yeah, so people can go check it out. Awesome. 100%, mate. And then we'll put the link as well to the book and all that sort of stuff, you know what I mean? Awesome. What's the low-hanging fruit? It's get some clients. John, I think... The decision to have you come back on for this podcast is absolutely bang on, brother. Because it's just like <laughs> the lowest hanging fruit for trainers. It was like, well, get trainers. But then here is how yeah. you do it. Here are my top three things to doing it. So not only just giving us a low hanging fruit, but then like strategies and, and stuff like that, mate, is, is outstanding. Brilliant. Okay. Question number three, for a trainer to be successful, what are your top areas to focus on and what's just noise? So I have a, a, a model for this. It's going to be different for different people, you know? So if you work with 16, 70 year olds who, you know, want movement freedom, then uh, your continuing education curriculum will likely be different than if you're working with, you know, 25 year olds who want to build muscle. If you're working with professional 
football players, whether it's American or real football, um, versus uh, working with post-rehab patients, totally different. So um, there isn't one particular, hey, go get this training or focus on these things. I think what you need is what, what I outline in the book called uh, a T-shaped curriculum. The way to describe this or understand this is imagine a T, so a capital letter printed T. So along the horizontal bar of the T would be all the skills you need to become successful future you. And then along the uh, vertical bar, the one going straight down, would be the area that you've decided to go deep in and get deep training in. So me as an example, I have a PhD in exercise and nutritional biochemistry. So that would be my deep, you know, that would be my vertical bar of the T. But I'm not sitting here with you today because of that. I'm sitting here because I also developed communication skills, business skills, marketing skills, change psychology skills, right? So these are the areas that I didn't go get a PhD in, but I learned enough to be competent in each area. So there's way too much to learn if you're young and new right now. So it's important not to get stressed out about this. What you do instead is you draw your blank T, consult with some people who are a little bit older and more experienced in the field. So someone who knows what you'll need to become future you. But the first thing, it's the hell of the thing that you have to do. You have to know what you want to be in the future. And that's purpose, unique abilities, and values again. Everyone's going to skip this exercise. They're going to be like, give me this strategy. But you can't build out your educational curriculum until you know where you're going. Yeah. Right? Get on the airplane. Start flying, Captain. You know what I mean? Where are we going? <laughs> I don't know. You know? How will we know when we get there? No clue. But I feel like I need to be doing something, so fly. You know? So we need to, we need to know where the plane's going first. Okay? But once you know that, then you can draw out this T-shaped curriculum. You need to go find some people who you're like, hey, here's my purpose, my unique abilities, and my values. Here's what I want to do in the field. What do I need to know to get there? And then hopefully through a combination of your own thinking plus insight from other people who have some experiences to avoid the potholes that you talked about, right, um, can help you flesh out what this T should look like for you. And then you go out and fill it. And each person's T is going to be different. And what I love about this, aside from helping you map out what you need to learn, is that it helps you uh, avoid all the things you don't need to learn, Yeah, which we all do, right? We end up at a seminar and we're not even sure why we're there. <laughs> we don't even know if we learned anything. So we need a better approach to this. And this is, this is my way of, of tackling that. So what, what, what are the things that people need to sort of progress their career? It's this. It's know which direction you want the plane to go then you need to know who future you is supposed to be. Then you need to figure out which learnings can help build future you. But I mean, to give some real examples, like if you're going to be a coach and you're going to have to get your own clients and, and let's say right now you're coaching mostly general pop with an athlete or two, you don't need to go do an advanced training yeah. on movement or athletic populations. That's interesting to you but it's not important right now. What you need right now is probably the thing that you're least likely to take, which is a course on marketing. Uh, or maybe you're just naturally good at getting clients, but now you need a course on change psychology so that you can ensure that each of the people who's coming to you 
gets great results so that a higher percentage of the people coming to you get great results. Not all of them will, right? My, the way I think about everything in life, in, in particular career, is just probabilities. How do I take actions that will increase the probability of the thing that I want, right? Like there's no 100% guarantee. So how do I have a successful business? The right real question is, how do I increase the probability of having success? Yes. And it's these actions. So do this fundamental work about you. Then you start building out the curriculum for a future you, the person that you need to become. Mate, I, I find that interesting. And with DTS Fitness Education, I've, I always get asked the question, John, when people come onto a live course and they say, what do you think I should do next? What do you think um, I, I should do? What courses do you offer that I should do next? I say, mate, I don't know. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We have all these different courses, but what you've got to do is exactly what you just said. We don't do all the, the NLP stuff and all the changing stuff, the change maker stuff. But as far as the physical skills go, yeah. what is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck as far as your clients go? Because is it a personal interest or is it something that's going to affect your business? Because mm -hmm. you get some people who are like, I, I say, you could do a kettlebell course. Yeah. What, are your clients going to use kettlebells? Or do you just look at them and think, oh, I'd like quite like to know how to use kettlebells. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you just find out what, what is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck and then go in that direction. Well, that's it, you know. And, and uh, you bring up a really nice thing that I want to clarify here, which is it doesn't mean that you don't go take the courses that are for your personal interest. But we need to make a priority structure somehow because you don't yeah. have unlimited time or money. And so when you don't have any clients or you're at the beginning of your career and your skills are still lacking, which they always are when you're at the beginning of your career, don't take the personal interest stuff. Take the things that are going to help you make money right now yeah. and get client results, which helps make money because those clients go tell everyone that you got them results, right? And then here's the beauty. You'll have way more money. <laughs> to go do all the things you want to do. You know what I mean? In the opposite way, it doesn't work out so well. You know, you, if you run out of money, then you, then you took that one kettlebell course and that was it. You're like, that was the pinnacle of my learning career. That was the peak. And that was <laughs> done. I never took another course because I couldn't afford it. You know? No, I like that, mate. I like that. It's just a unique approach. Just getting into that thought process. And I like the, the journey as well, John. I always say to people, if you don't know where you are now and you don't know where you're going to, you cannot plan the route. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got yeah. to first come, understand where you are currently, understand where you want to be, and then the roadmap, uh, as you say, with the airplane, get on a plane and then go. And uh, if you know the destination, you know how it is that you're going to yeah, get Yeah, totally. And this is, and, and I want to connect this to a very popular thing in the field right now, which is take action. Everyone's saying take action all day long. Hold on. Okay. Taking action without doing any of this other stuff is just running around a room, smashing into walls. That's all it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're busy. That's great. But you need purpose, unique abilities, values. You need a picture of future you, which is what you're saying. Where am I now? Where do I want to go? Okay, now I can take action. Now I can take massive action or whatever people are calling it now to make it more action-y. You know? <laughs> but Taking action devoid of these things, it's great if you just want to feel busy. But if you want to actually have a chance at success, you can't take action without 
where am I now and where am I going, like you said. So I think it's really critical. One of the things that occurred to me while you were talking about the DTS stuff was like, what, wouldn't it be cool if you guys eventually created like a little tool that helps people decide the next course for them with DTS based on where they are now? Answer these 15 questions and then it recommends the next course for you. you yeah, do you know what? We have something laid out, which is like, um, it's like a track. So you start with DTS level one, then you've got these right. little different branches that yeah, you can do. Yeah, it's a do. curriculum and yes, yeah, but partly you, choose your own adventure. Yeah, That's it. You can, you can find your way along as, as far as like what resonates with you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, we, 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 do, we have that thought process, but we can probably yeah. potentially refine it. But just what you were saying there, I had a conversation with the, the founder of the company, Kevin Darber. When I first started working with Kev, uh, my background was, I first started as an engineer, and it's like, I am like nonstop. I worked uh, 12, 14 hours a day. I was like contracting here, there and everywhere all over the country. Uh, and it was busy. It was hard work. You were like grafting. Uh, and then I, I moved into the personal training industry and I was busy, 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 busy. And then I moved into education. I was busy, 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 busy. And I've always placed a value on what I do, John, as how mm. busy I am. And I think people get right. caught up in that, like what you say, where mm -hmm. they're just bouncing off walls. But it's good because I'm busy. And I yeah. think people need to understand the difference between being busy and being productive. Yeah, completely. Yes, I write about this. And it's really, really a, an important topic to me because I grew up in an immigrant family. Uh, my parents came from Italy. They grew up post-World War II Italy. And without education, like, you know, the classic story was that it's, my dad didn't go to school. I mean, they, from this tiny mountain village, he went to the fields with my grandma every day. She would tie a, a string to a chicken's foot and then to his wrist. And that was his playmate for the day, right? That's, that's how he hung out during the day, right? Um, my dad's a very smart guy, just never had an, a lot of formal education. You know, I grew up in this environment around immigrants all the time who were very busy working two, three jobs, working super hard. So I saw firsthand what happens when you hustle and grind devoid of strategic planning. Yeah. You know, for a lot of immigrants, you know, the opportunity to come to America or Canada and just have a couple of jobs and be able to raise a family in a very middle class, lower middle class kind of way was a humongous win. So I don't want to denigrate that fact. Some of them are escaping persecution in the world where like death was inevitable. So they're, they won, you know what I mean? At the same time, nowadays we're promised huge financial and entrepreneurial success when we hustle and grind. And I'm like, it, I grew up with that. It doesn't work that way. These people didn't get those things that you're talking about right now from hustling and grinding. It made me realize early in life that you can't try harder. You have to try different. Yeah. And so that's, that's the strategy part, right? If you take a minute and figure out what's going to have a high probability of working and then work hard towards that, it works way better. And the thing that I, I, th I hope people get from the book is that you can't do it alone. You know, Phil, our co-founder at PN used to say this all the time, nothing worth doing can be done alone. And it feels like a great, like little cliche statement. And you maybe put it on top of your football stadium so that it inspires teamwork and stuff. But as life has gone on for me, I've realized it's actually true. The big worthwhile things 
can't be done alone. Even defining yourself and plotting your future can't be done alone, right? You don't know enough. How can you know what future you need unless you talk to someone who's become the future version of themselves already? You know, so again, that's why a lot of the exercises in the book for T-shaped curriculum and purpose, values, unique abilities all recruits the help of your friends, family, and colleagues so that collectively you can come up with these things rather than individually because you're not going to figure it out alone. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes, John, well, I mean, probably every time people have an understanding of what you do well, probably a lot better than what you understand yes. what you do well. Yes, yes, absolutely. I tell the story. Actually, it's fun because the audio version of the book, uh, I had friends and family come narrate parts of it, the parts that they're relevant to. Nice. So uh, my nine-year-old is, is a voice on my audio book, and so she tells this story. But when I was doing my own unique ability process, and I was uncovering these things, and I was working with friends and family trying to figure out what my unique abilities are, and it's, it's a beautiful exercise, really. Uh, I remember like, I left my office here, went out to the kitchen, and she was at the countertop like doing craft. And I walked in and I asked her what she's doing. And she was like, oh, I'm working on this. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I looked at it. I'm like, hey, you know, it'd be really neat if we like tried this and this and this. Would you be open to that? Like, and she's like, yeah, yeah, sit down, help me out. And then she pauses and she goes, dad, you, you know what's really cool about you? She's like, I, this happens all the time. Like I'm always working on something or whatever. And you come in and you just give me little ideas for making it better. You're really good at that. And it was a beautiful moment and it's super cool in the audiobook because she tells this story, right? <laughs> and so you hear it in a nine-year-old voice, but it dawned on me, I am really good at that. And I would have never included it in my unique ability statements, but it's actually one of the things I do best. I give a team a project to work on. Uh, I give them sort of my vision and instruction for how to do it. They bring it back to me and then I go, oh, what if we did this? What if we did this? I can make it that extra 10 or 15% better, which takes it from yeah, pretty good to remarkable, um, unlike most other people. Now, it's not always appreciated, right? especially <laughs> when people work super hard on a thing and they're like, this is my thing, isn't it beautiful? And I'm like, that's pretty cool, but it's not done yet. It's not ready. It's just a draft, right? I call it the shitty first draft, but we can make it better. Watch this, right? Um, so I wouldn't have included it, but it's probably one of my greatest skills. And it took my nine-year-old, and she was eight at the time, to help me realize it. <laughs> That's brilliant. My wife says to me all the time, I know you better than you know you. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. she never tells me about my unique abilities though, John, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's only it's only when you're doing some stuff she wants you to stop, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, my mate. It's time. It's time for the. Uh, I'll put this down as the Baradi bonus. That's a sound boom. effects. It's a Baradi bonus. So, question number four: What would be the Baradi bonus for a new trainer struggling to obtain clients? I think I already gave it away. Damn it! Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for the big, but it was going to be a big, like, Baradi bonus. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I've, I just, I gave three earlier. It's just I gave them at the wrong time. It's totally that social media posting thing. And I say social media, but if you don't have a social media or you don't have a social media following, it's not going to work there. But you can do it in other contexts that I'm looking for five people who live here in this age range who want to hopeful future, you know? 
jump buildings in a single bound and breathe fire and whatever. I am in. I am in. <laughs> you know, uh, that right there is is it. And then, you know, then, of course, there's the, the talk to people for 30 days challenge, you know, which it may get you some clients. But even if it doesn't, it will get you markedly more comfortable about talking about what you do, which is going to be required for your whole career. So you're either going to have to figure that out or you're going to have to leave the field or do something else in the field, not getting clients involved. You know what I mean? Um, so those are, those are my bonuses right that's fantastic, mate. Just to recap them and keep them nice and fresh for people. Uh, that's, that's brilliant. And so question number five, I suppose, goes off, off the back of that, John. Uh, here's another Barani bonus for an established trainer. So you've got a new trainer, you've got an established trainer. Does the same sort of advice ring true whether you're a new trainer or an established trainer? Yeah, it absolutely does. But if you're established, presumably you have uh, an already active group of, of clients in which case there is what you want to focus on retention and referral. So you want to say, all right, how, as long as they still need me, how do I keep these people longer? And then how do I get them referring? So keeping people longer is so simple, but we just don't do the things that are required to do it. One of the things that we learned through extensive research, and again, I unpack all this in the book, is how people want the feeling of personal. Now, they don't need a personal relationship with their coach. Right? That's the mistake people make when they hear this. They need what I call the feeling of personal. So here's how I could create the feeling of personal with a client. Let's say I know your children's names, like I've made a point to memorize them. And I've also made a point to learn when their birthdays are or some other significant date or their pet's names or something that's really special to you as the client that's independent of our relationship on the gym floor or on the uh, nutrition floor, then I bring those things up when they're relevant. Like, hey, daughter's graduation day is coming up. Are you excited? Hey, it's your birthday today. I got you a little something. Like even little things, like let's say a client tells you they're sick of their breakfast, right? They, they're trying to eat healthy, but they're sick of eggs or whatever. What you should do is make a note of that. And then Maybe you come up with a solution for them between now and the next session. And it could be you buy them a cookbook with 101 creative breakfast recipes and you don't tell them you're doing it. It's a surprise to them. And so what you're conveying to them is I listened to your thing. I thought about it. It was important to me also. And I didn't promise you anything, but I surprised you with potential solution. Even if they never read that cookbook, you will be their go-to. So there's just these little relationship leveraging things. I think about this with parenting all the time. You don't need to spend countless hours with your children. You just need to spend quality hours, yeah. right? And how do you ratchet up that feeling of connection? It's by doing connecting things. Thoughtful, I thought about you when you weren't here type things. Remember you brought up a thing? There's a colleague of mine who, I don't, we were playing a game at a seminar. Oh, we were just talking about like what our favorite song is and what our favorite, like our dream concert would be. Any bands, alive or dead, you know? And, uh, and he mentioned this one song that he really likes. So I found a really rare recording of it and I sent it to him. Just out of the blue months later. And he's just someone I see at events, right? So he's a friend, but he's sort of a colleague. Do you think he's ever going to forget that? You know what I mean? This yeah. John Berardi sent me out of the blue, this, my favorite song, the rare recording of it. That's the feeling of personal, yeah. you know? So this is where retention happens. 
It's by consistently creating the feeling of personal with your clients, by creating these little shared special moments that makes it feel like a, a real caring relationship, even though it doesn't have to be a friendship in that way. You don't have to hang out outside the gym, you know? So that's, that's my number one thing, Berardi bonus for uh, <laughs> retention. And then uh, when it comes to referral, you just have to make it easy for people. People sometimes concoct these elaborate schemes for like affiliate revenues or free things if someone refers. I think if you are creating a feeling of personal for your clients on a consistent basis, they want to help you. Yeah. They don't need to be incentivized with money. You know, the incentive is already been baked in, right? Like it's not an expectation, a, a trade. So you just have to ask, you know, in a non-weird way. You know, it's kind of built into your structure of your, your coaching for recommendations to friends and family that may benefit from your services. You know, hey, I've got a couple spots opening up and I'm just reaching out to all my clients and you might do this via text message. Again, I like it better when they can look at it repeatedly rather than just saying it while, while you're taking, like don't take up their time, yeah. you know, on the gym floor if you're training them in person to talk about your needs, right? But what you do, could do is text them and be like, hey, I got a couple spots opening up. I'm just wondering if there's anyone in your network, friends, family, colleagues, who might be a good fit for what I do. If so, let me know, we figure out how we can do a, a meet, you know, an introduction. And I love that because it sits on their phone and they can think about it for days. If you just mention to it verbally, they can forget about it by the end of the session. Like they're yeah. breathing heavy and squatting. The chance that they're gonna remember is low, right? <laughs> uh, so that's my, that's, that's for the more seasoned some coaches who have clients. Small ways with big impact to create this feeling of personal so that retention extends. And then the second is referrals. Thoughtfully ask for referrals from the people that you work with. On the, uh, the DTS level one, we talk about being transformational, not transactional. Right. You know what I mean? So, and also what we introduce is a lot of uh, active listening components for people to sort of develop these. People refer to them as soft skills, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's more like, just think about it for a second. And I mean, really think about it. When was the last time that somebody actually sat down, looked at you in the eye and actually physically listened to mm -hmm. what it is that you have got to say? And do you know what, John? It happens rarely, even in marriage. You know, it's yeah. like people don't sit down and listen and are interested. How was your day? Oh, well, this, that, and the other happened. And Actually listening and engaging with that client is such a powerful, powerful tool. Yes, it is. And, and seizing upon those little tiny things. Well, one thing is when you, when you actually, actually listen, when you care, you know, I call it active, compassionate listening, yes. right? Which often looks like a lot of questions. It <laughs> actually looks like, oh, that's super cool. I was wondering this. Oh, really? That happened? Cool, cool. Tell me more about that. You know, and oh, you know what? That made me think of this. How do you think of it? That's what active, compassionate listening looks like. It, it actually is active. You're actually doing stuff. You're actually pulling from them. You know, interesting details, things that, are, that matter, things that are important. When you actively listen like that, like you're less likely to forget the answers. But I, I also think like, uh, I don't know, I've got this little notebook here. This is my seven-year-old's little book. And he writes, it's like a little journal. So he writes down his thoughts, but more than that, he, he makes lists of things. You know what I mean? He's like, 
I'm going to make lists of all the books I read. Uh, last night, he made a list of all the cars he likes, things that are happening in his head or ideas that he wants to come back to later. This is what you should have as a coach. And then when a, when a client tells you something that you're like, hmm, that's personal, that's meaningful, I'm going to write that down so I don't forget. And then you loop back around with that later when there's a chance to do something that creates the feeling of personal. So it's an active process. Listen harder isn't good advice. Ask more questions part of who this person is, how they think, what they want and need in the world is better advice, you know? And then again, in the book, I've got six pages of the kinds of questions you could ask in these scenarios. So we can turn it into something you can do rather than just me wagging my finger and saying, y'all need to listen more. You know, that, that's not good enough. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. But you need to listen more. I, again, it's like having a conversation with your wife. You know what I mean? She says that to me all the time. You need to listen more. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. You're probably right. And then yeah. I say, what? Did you just say something? <laughs> yeah. Earth shattering advice, but we do it all the time in fitness. Or you need to be more mindful of what you're eating. If I could do that, I'd already be doing it. You need to help me figure out how to do it. Yeah, I think that's bang on, mate. You know what I mean? I think that's bang on. So, John, that we get into, we get into towards the back end, mate. Fill us in, but like I said a little earlier, all the dis, um, the uh, links to the to the book and to the website and all that sort yeah. of stuff are going to be in the description. But how's things been going anyway, mate? How's the, how's the book going and uh, and all Fantastic. that stuff? Fantastic, fantastic. I told you earlier because I knew this would be a great source of pride for you. But you know, the uh, I, yesterday I got the data on all book sales in the UK is crushing right now, crushing. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we printed 40,000 copies of the book. It launched on November 5th in the U.S., internationally on the 21st. And all the books are committed right now. We're in our second printing already, which is beautiful. But it's, it's not enough. I mean, it's like, think about all the coaches out there. Right? Yes, 100%, it, mate. 40,000 is maybe only 5% of the full-time coaches in the world will be experiencing the materials. I think a lot of people need to see this book more than just a read. As you know, it's full of exercises that really help you do the work of creating a career for yourself. So uh, for me, I'm just working very hard to make sure more and more people get it in their hands. And you know, like I, you know, when I transitioned out of precision nutrition, we sold it for a very good price. So this isn't about money for me. This is about helping this field that's been so good to me. You know, I make a couple bucks off each book sold. At the end of the day, I will likely make no money on this book because I will invest everything back in making sure everyone has it in their hands, which is incidentally, looping back around to the beginning, my purpose. I have a purpose statement written down that I look at every day. I'd like to know that one, the coaches in our field see their clients differently. Two, that they see their work differently. And that through this transformation that they go through about seeing their clients and themselves differently, this field, the little infant becomes a toddler and a toddler becomes an adolescent and an adolescent becomes a teenager and on, you know, I'm excited about how well it's doing. It's not doing good enough yet though. I want more people to have this and I'm doing everything I can to make sure that happens. As, as I said to you earlier, I found the Kevin Darber. He read the book and he was like, I literally could not put the book down. It was phenomenal. And I I've think been hearing that from a lot of what we call like leaders in the field posting about it the most, which has been really satisfying for me is that, that uh, some of my peers feel like, hey, geez, even at my point, 
where everyone looks to me as a success story, uh, there's lots that I can learn from this. So that felt great. Do you know what, John? I think as it all sort of comes round, it's like when you first get into the industry, you're so focused on what it is that you're doing and you're just sort of like, like you said earlier, grinding it out and you're right in the mix. You're in the reeds. You're in the yeah. reeds trying to, try to work your way towards a point. And then as you spend more and more and more and more time in the industry, you get chance to develop something like what you've developed and then think, I wish I'd have had that when I first started out. Or I wish I'd have had that even when I feel like there's something else that I could be doing or something more that I could be adding. Mm-hmm. If I'd have had that, it'd have been, I'd have been like, got there so much. You know what I mean? It took totally. so much. That's, that's it. You think, I, I just think of this as something that will shoot your probability of doing good work that you find meaningful and important and being financially rewarded for it. It makes the chance of that go up. I think that's fantastic, mate. I think that's fantastic. So, like I say, the links are going to be in there for everybody who's uh, interested. These free resources that come from the book, free chapters, these like articles, and then we've got the links to the books as well. So, uh, the links to the book as well. So, I think that's cool, mate. Now, John, is the questions that matter. And we asked, like, there's been like a lot of feedback on these questions, mate, as far as like great white shark, saltwater croc. A lot right. of people have gone a different way. So I thought with you, I'm going to give... We did gonna, that one, I think. We did yes. that one. Oh, last this is a different one. Right. This yeah. is a different one, brother. This is a different one. And I'm going to do a little caveat to this. When I ask this question, John, it can be anybody, like it can be a group of people, it can be anything. But the key thing is you won't get injured and you won't die. So, <laughs> so you've got that thought process it's going in. It's a good in. way to begin any that's, question. Any that's question how it goes. <laughs> So if you could have a training session with anyone throughout history, past or present, and not die, who would it be (laughs) and why? Oh, gosh. There's so many angles I could go here. I mean, I think about like some of my weightlifting heroes historically, but like, do I want to train with them or do I want to have a meal with them and ask them questions? I'd I'd be way more curious to sitting down with most of them. So I think I'm going to go a different direction. I think I'm going to say I want to train with my like 22 year old. I want to nice. train with that guy, right? For the first reason is it's really hard to remember what you were like back then. So <laughs> people do one of two things. They go, I was bench pressing a truck. And you're like, nah, it, it was only 200 pounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I want to see if my appraisal of how good I was is true. Or they go the other direction and go, now that I'm 45, I'm in the best shape of my life. And you're like, no it is. Unless you're obese, you're not, right? If you're an athlete then and you're an athlete now, you're not better than you were then. You're smarter, all those things. So I want to get an accurate appraisal of what that guy was up to. And maybe I could give him some advice too while we're training. You know what I mean? Because nice. he needs a little bit of it. Maybe, hey, maybe he could read the book. That's right. Hey, hey, he'd be like, hey, I've just got this book together. Uh, that's brilliant, mate. That's brilliant. Because I was like, oh, this could be like, I'd like to train with the Roman gladiators because I can't die. So I could yeah. just, you know what I mean? Really go for it. But I like that sort of thought process, John. I actually remember seeing you maybe a bit more than 10 years ago at Loughborough University. Yeah. And I just finished presenting and you was going to train. He was with uh, another guy and you and him was going to train at the, uh, at the, in the university. Sort that's of right. Yes. I was like, I remember. 
this yeah. guy, like, you was a beast, mate. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> I was. I have this story in my head that I, I'm like, I'm like, is this true? Like, at my peak, I used to squat 405 for 20 reps. So I've had some very strong guys be like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "I see. I think, but I don't. I don't totally rem- like. I think it's true." Memory is fallible. So anyway, I, I want to see what that guy was up to. Maybe I have some advice for him. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I remember uh, one of the fights that I had was against this guy called uh, Rocky Balboa, uh, and he ended up beating him. But then there was another guy called Apollo Creed, and I beat him as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> completely false. Completely false. That's right. <laughs> nice one, John. John, as always, it is a flaming absolute pleasure to speak to you, brother. And all the links are in the description, my mate. Great. And we're going to finish it, my mate. I'm going to finish it with a... Goal! Jumbarani! That was the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. You can follow us on social media or visit us at dtsfitnesseducation.com for more knowledge applied. Remember, there's a new episode weekly. So thanks for listening and go DTS Fitness Education!